Today's uh, scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make your partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing him, seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. And all of God's people said, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, David. All right, so I'm going to give you one more reminder. If you haven't had a chance, the little red notepads that are floating around, I'd love for you guys to find one and fill it out, and that way we can just stay connected as we go forward. Um, if you are joining us online... Thank you so much for being here, and uh, just know that uh, you can send an email to info at resurrectiongmc.com, and we would love to uh, get to know you better and get connected. So, this is the second week of our series called Bold. Um, last week, we talked about um, the, the passage in chapter 3 of 1 Peter that says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have found. So we had a homework assignment. Uh, did everybody do their homework? Yeah. Okay, I'm honor system. Okay, all right. So the homework was um, that we we said that that this answer for the hope we found doesn't have to be um, some dissert, doctoral dissertation, but it is simply this is what my life was like. Here's how I encountered Jesus, and this is what my life is like now. And that, that is, that's the thing that we need to be prepared as the body of Christ, is, as believers. We need to be prepared um, to give to a, to a world that is asking questions. Um, I, I think that it's interesting because we've gotten, I'm a millennial, again, I apologize for that, but we've gotten into this generational labeling thing. And it's, and it's kind of been a little, I don't know, it's just a little weird. It's not incorrect. I mean, there's a lot about millennials that's accurate. Um, and then Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen X, you name it, all the different kind of groups, right? Um, but we can't, there's this like, there's this belief system going around that like, well, the next generation, they're just done. And it's like, they're not actually done. And they said that about millennials, and they said it about the next one. They'll say it about the next one. We ran out of alphabet letters, so I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be interesting. Do we already have a new generation labeled? Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha. We're going right back to the top. <laughs> All right. Uh, but do y'all get, y'all have heard it, right? Y'all kind of hear it in the culture. And, in, and, and I just want us to reject that. <laughs> because in every single generation, and every single culture, there, there are human beings. And if there's a human being then what we know is true is that they are made in the image of God and they are, they are drawn by their creator. Like they have a spirit man and, and the Holy Spirit moves and they can recognize it. I don't care what their age is. I don't care what their culture is. I don't care what their background is. And so we have to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have found. 
We call this series bold because it's going to require a level of boldness that we don't have. And you're like, ouch, I don't like to hear that. Well, it's kind of true. There's, a new, there's another step for every single one of us. I don't care um, what your kind of uh, standard practices or what your weeks look, looks like or what your outreach looks like. There's another step that the Lord is trying to call you to in stepping out and in, uh, in operating in this thing called faith. And so um, last year, I, last year, last week, sorry, I got ahead of myself. I made this statement that sharing our faith with others is not a results-based practice. And I wanted to circle back around to that for like two minutes, hopefully. Um, that doesn't mean that we won't see lives changed and we don't look to see lives changed. That doesn't mean that we won't witness the transformation that takes place in human beings as they come to know the Lord or as they get a little piece of hope deposited in them it, or the transformation that happens in our own lives as we step out in faith and we say, hey, can I pray for you? Or what, is there something that you need? Or what, what, do, you, do you know Jesus? Like, what does this thing look like? What are you walking through? As we do that, there's transformation that takes place. When I say that we're not a results, it, like that witnessing and being bold and telling your testimony is not a results-based practice, I'm not saying that we, we don't operate with like looking for those things. Here's what I am saying. Not being a results-based based practice simply means that our willingness and excitement to talk about Jesus isn't based on achieving a predetermined outcome. When I walk into a bold moment of sharing my faith with a predetermined outcome, I'm running a risk, and we run a risk. And I think as Christians, we need to own that we've been bold at moments, the church has been bold at moments, but rarely have we been bold in sharing our faith absent of a predetermined outcome. I tend to share my faith when I want to get you to plug into a program or a ministry or, 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 or I don't know, like, does that make sense? Y'all catching what I'm picking, what I'm putting down? So I just wanted to clarify that because, um, I'm not saying that we don't trust the Lord fully and we don't know that he shows, when, when God shows up, good things happen. We rest completely on that. But we have to separate ourselves from this predetermined outcome and trust that the Lord is going to work in that person's life. So that means if you share your faith and there's a relationship that starts up, but that person never shows up in this room or any other, like, but you're the connection of how God is going to be like drawing that person in and then do it. Absent of the predetermined outcome. Okay? I'm going to skip the Matthew passage, Kathy. So let's go straight to kind of our primary point. Um, human beings of all shapes, ages, sizes are constantly in this position. It's a tension point between the now and the not yet. Every day of your life, everyone take a breath. <sighs> okay, that's the now. And then everything out here is the not yet. We live in this tension point and we have different mechanisms that we use to manage it, 
we tend to feel more secure between the now and the not yet when we have um, some, some ducks in a row here in the now. We have some, some hedge, some margin. Um, none of those things are bad, but as believers, we, and as believers boldly sharing your faith, um, you're gonna feel this tension in a whole new way because there's the now and then there's all the not yet. Except in the now, as you've stepped out in vulnerability, as you've stepped out to share your faith, to, to do something that's uncomfortable, that's not in your wheelhouse, to, to talk to that friend that you've known for years, that you just sense the Holy Spirit telling you you need to share. Ask them what's going on. Ask them if they talk to me. Now you're vulnerable in the now. And that tends to get us all a little uncomfortable. Thankfully, Peter wrote this letter. And it was to a whole group of churches. And it's here in 1 Peter. We were in chapter 3 yesterday. Um, and today, uh, we're going to be in chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Because the now and the not yet is my current reality versus, versus my future hope or the future unknown. And then here in these, in these verses, what we see from Peter is an outline and how we, are gonna, how we are supposed to navigate the now and the not yet. Y'all ready? Good enough for me. Let's start 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Between the now and the not yet, just look in your own history, in your own life, the things you've walked through, the trials, the suffering, the things that don't go quite well. Um, Peter is telling us that not only... Um, are they going to happen, but that we should not be surprised because struggles and obstacles are guaranteed and necessary. Guaranteed, one, they're going to happen, and two, necessary, they need to happen so that we can begin to understand in a fuller capacity what it is that Jesus walked through. Because here's the truth. When I hit a struggle, when I hit um, an obstacle, when, when something doesn't go right, when something blows up in my face, when I'm under attack, typically I view that as punishment or proof of God's absence. Anybody echo that? You find yourself in that place and you're like, what did I do wrong? No, sometimes we do things wrong, so <laughs> that does exist. But I immediately go to, I, I screwed something up, or God has just, you know, abandoned me. I'm, I don't know this. How could God allow this to take place? And Peter is telling us that not only is it guaranteed that you'll run into obstacles, you'll run into struggles, but that it's necessary. So stop acting surprised. Not all of us, and not all the time, I think the church is a collective tends to do this more than individuals, but it kind of exists in every single one of our walks of faith of this, why is this taking place? And it takes us a while to get around to, man, God was moving in every single second of that 
obstacle of that suffering, of that encounter. Peter goes on to to say, uh, starting in verse 14, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. Murder and stealing, everybody good? Except for if you read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you read that, it's, that it says do, do not murder, but I tell you if you hold hate in your heart for your brother, you are in risk of the same penalty. Stealing. He says don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, but I say if you even look upon your neighbor's wife, then you have committed the sin in your heart. So I might not have murdered anyone, But do I carry anger? Yeek! I might not have stolen a car. But do I look at my neighbor's car with envy and jealousy? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 5. As a matter of fact, it's 522 if you want to look it up later. It's not enough just to not commit the murder. Allowing that anger to fester will produce the same toxic inside of your own life. Even if the outward action doesn't ever take place. And then we look at uh, Peter's description of uh, don't suffer, however, from making trouble. When I'm making trouble, it's because I want attention. I'm stirring the pot, putting my nose, oh, that's the next one, prying into other people's affairs. Again, we're not pulling the room because we all are guilty of this in one way, shape, or form. Peter is drawing this line, which again, we just talked about in in that first point about struggles and obstacles are guaranteed and necessary. However, don't create your own turmoil. Well, how do I know the difference? An obstacle that you're facing that is what God is working through and in, is always connected to hope. This other stuff, murder, stealing, anger, envy, troublemaking, seeking attention, prying into other people's affairs. These are all decisions based on self. These are all my attempts to control my environment, my outcomes, and decisions-based self-centered actions produce self-made suffering, which is void of hope. The worst thing is that as Christians, this is the, this is the, the really, really sticky part. We live in community on purpose, And I'm making a self-centered action that's producing a a negative effect, a negative, an obstacle. And my brother and my sister comes and says, hey, I think think you have something to look at. And we jump back up to verse 12 and 13. We go, no, 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 no. I didn't create this. This is just because I'm a Christian. 
And we, we, we use this, this process that the Lord is trying to work in us to actually dis, dismiss the thing in our life that we need to work on. Because Peter says, if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for anger. I'm going to replace the words. Anger, envy, attention-seeking, or prying into other people's affairs. So if someone comes to you and you can't see it, or if you're reading in Scripture and the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, that, hey, I'm in I'm the middle of some junk right now that I'm creating myself, and I'm, there's no hope attached anywhere in it. Don't treat it as if it is an obstacle that... That, that is producing holiness because it's not, it is your own selfish desires and ambitions trying to play the part of God, to produce results, to control the narrative between the now and the not yet. And here's the cool part. If and when, it's my experience, I admit, you know what, you're right. I've been trying I haven't trusted the Lord with that at all. I've been prying into other people's business. I've been jealous and angry. I have been um, making all sorts of trouble based off of my own selfish ambition. Guess what happens? God shows up right there in that moment. <laughs> He's like, cool, now we can work it. Now I can, now I can, now I can build the thing in you. Now there's hope attached to this process. But I've lived my life, I lived years of my life claiming that an obstacle was, was just the Lord working something out in me and it was truth, it was my own, just my own selfish and self-centered actions trying to control the world around me and not allowing God to touch any of it. There's a nuance there and that's hard by the way. What I just described in just those two verses that pull out, that is hard to navigate. Don't do it alone. Have somebody you trust that knows the voice of the Lord, that can see things from a different angle, that can speak these things into your life. It's imperative. It's a must. Sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. Verse 16 but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. I love like just this proclamation. As I sat with this this week, I noticed that every time I've read this scripture, my, my mind, my eyes always go to the no shame to suffer. You're right. And all of a sudden the Lord just kind of like, hey, the suffering, the suffering isn't what Peter is trying to pull out. What, what, what is he pointing to? He's pointing to it's no shame. Because the truth is, is that I don't mind suffering nearly as much as I mind shame. I can put up with some stuff. Maybe not healthy. Maybe not life-giving. I might not be doing cartwheels. But I can deal with some suffering. But if you're anything like me, if I experience shame, 
in the shame that's attached to suffering, either by myself or by my environment, that shame ruins me. Peter is saying there's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. If we're going to read that line, then, then we have to say that based off of what he just said in the previous verse, that he's saying, but there is shame in suffering for yourself. Sometimes shame is the indicator that brings us to our awareness that I'm, I'm all about me and I'm not allowing the Lord to lead this thing. But if this actually is an obstacle, then guess what? I have to divorce shame and suffering. So, you're following the Lord, you're taking a step of faith, you're going outside your comfort zone, you're, you're being obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit, his promptings as, as he moves, and as you walk through your days, as you're in the grocery store, you're in the gas station, when my self and insecurity tries to hijack that process, I'm very vulnerable. And Peter's just reminding us, when this is actually a God-given, God-directed, God-designed, God-orchestrated obedience, call and response, even in rejection, I, I, need to, I can separate shame and suffering. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is why hope is important. And this is why when shame does rob us of hope, it makes a very, 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 very deep impact in our lives. Paul writes in Hebrews 11.1, 1, you might know this verse. I, this is the King James Version. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you stay in, in, in your own agenda and your own trying to control between the now and the not yet, you will be wrapped up in shame and it will, it will eclipse and, and rob you of hope. And if hope is gone, then your faith is done. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now let's say that's not happening. Let's say you are just being obedient to the Lord and there's suffering that comes along with it. And the enemy tries to plant that lie in that suffering that you should be ashamed of yourself for. You have completely ruined this thing. And you begin to believe that shame lie. The same process takes place. Your hope is robbed. And your faith is immediately I'm 39, so I don't, know, I don't know enough about 
culture and how it, is, how it is shaped over hundreds and hundreds of years. I've read a lot. I've done a lot of investigation. Um, but there, there's, this, there's always been a piece of this, you guys. I mean, Peter's writing this in, in, the, in the formation of the early church, that, that there is, there's persecution, there's suffering that is going to take place. I don't know. I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's so much worse now than it used to be. I don't know if you read some accounts about how Christians were treated back in the day. It's not. <laughs> But here's, here's the truth. is The enemy doesn't need to use a, a Roman government authority as it was in the early church, persecuting Christians, killing Christians, all of the things through history where there's been obstacles and suffering for believers. If he can just get you ashamed, if he can just get you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he has, he has negated the growth of your faith in my faith, and we'll keep playing church. And what was John Wesley's, I, I do not fear that Methodists would ever cease to exist from the earth, but that they would become a dead sect, completely devoid and lifeless. Having the practice, this is, don't quote me on this because I didn't memorize this, but he would said, having the practice but not the substance. So you want to be bold? Then you're going to have to, I'm going to have to, we are going to have to learn how to navigate how shame impacts. And we're going to have to have people speaking into our lives when we can't see it. Because we're over here trying to control and trying to dictate and trying to control between the now and the not yet. And, and then over here, when even that might not be taking place, but the enemy has kind of planted that seed of a lie that you should be ashamed because you've just been rejected. You've just been declined. You've, you're falling short of the, the great commission and how dare you and keep your mouth shut. All the different things that get, kind of get brought in, even when we're aligned and, and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Shame wants to show up in every single environment because it'll cut us off from our hope and it will negate our faith. Your faith will just stop dead in its tracks. So being bold is an, is an inside job. Last week we landed that uh, a bold testimony requires humility. Being bold is an inside job. Some of the boldest people, Christians, believers, you will ever run into are the quietest people you've ever met. And their kingdom impact ripples throughout the earth. And they're the last person to speak up because there's an inside job that they've accepted and they've embraced that they will not settle and live with shame and try to negotiate and navigate and do things as best as I can and try to muster and produce a result they simply submit in all things to what God is trying to shape in them. And when they, they realize that they have their hands on it, they have people that hold them accountable and they know how to reorient themselves. I am never the quietest person in the room. And I gotta be really honest with you, sometimes, a lot of the times, most of the times, I'm talking real loud because I'm trying to ne negotiate and navigate this internal process that Peter's pointing out to us here.
I think far too often, and Ben, John can come on up. I think far too often, we get the cart before the horse. And we'll go and proclaim something that isn't a true reality in our own lives. Even if it's truth. Do y'all get that? But proclaiming a truth that I, that I, that I haven't allowed to, to actually work in me, this doesn't carry the same weight. It doesn't carry, it doesn't carry the power. This is what I've wrestled with this week. Suffering is unavoidable. Don't suffer for your own glory, but, but rejoice when you suffer for the King's glory. And shame will paralyze and rob you of hope. Some of you, as you worked on your homework this week and you had those three questions to give a reason for the hope that you have found, some of you struggled with that, not because you couldn't find three reasons, but because it was hard. You, you felt pretty detached from hope for a while. And I would say in this moment, in this very instant, the Holy Spirit is, is, is begging you to allow him to cut away this shame Cut away the selfish um, stuff that might have been going on in your life so we can reconnect you to hope so faith can rise again. Faith can spring forward again. As we sing this last song, I invite you to just allow God to work in a way that I can't and it's just beyond human. It's all the Lord. Would you stand and let's sing this song.
Yes, Lord. 